from Relay FM, this is Connected, episode 135. Today's show is brought to you by Encapsula, Blue Apron, and Eero. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Federico Vatici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. And Stephen Hackett. Hola. <laughs> Howdy. How you doing? It's not really his language. Well, you know, it could be. Hmm. Uh, we're back, all three of us. Welcome back, Federico. Thank you. It's great uh, to be back. You had a, had a good a good time away, I trust. Yeah, yeah. It was good. a it was a great weekend. Yeah, good. Well deserved. Well deserved. So uh, we're back, and we have a a whole slew of follow up. Uh, but first, we have a little bit of an announcement, and you know it's important because I put it in blink tags in the Google mm. Doc. Connected which- is shutting down. disappointingly blink tags aren't rendered in uh, google docs but we have uh, just put up a blog post there'll be uh, a link in the show notes in fact it will be the first link in the show notes this week to a save the date for our wwdc 2017 meetup so uh, we will be in san jose uh, with everyone else and monday night june 5th from 7 to 9.30 p.m., we will be at the San Jose Museum of Quilts and Textiles. Yeah, which, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great location. Every uh, time. I love it. Every time. So it, that may sound uh, a little strange that we're not doing it at a bar or a theater, but uh, we wanted to do something really different this year. So the event is free. The event is open to all ages. There will be beer, uh, so if you want to drink, be sure to bring your ID, but they'll check it at the bar. So if you are under 21, uh, you can come, which we're really excited about. And it's not a live show. We're just going to do like a good, old-fashioned social event meetup type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have to have a ticket. We are we do still have a, a cap in the number of people we can have in the museum. It is larger than what we did last year, which we're really excited about. So here's how to get a ticket. If you uh, signed up for this Newsletter, it is a one-time email list. You will only ever receive one email from me on this. I'm going to destroy the list after this. It's just to say when tickets go up. Uh, Our plan is to have tickets up uh, a week from today, if everything goes uh, according to plan. And they'll be, uh, if 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 last year is any indication, they will go super quickly so i would definitely have uh have your name on that list so you are notified because last year they were sold it was sold out turn on push notifications for your email is what i recommend yes it sold out in a year or an hour last year wow one and, whole uh, year it took, <laughs> it took yeah. a year good job slow, <laughs> slow moving those tickets slow burn <laughs> it took an hour last time and those are pay tickets and this will be free so there are more tickets uh than last year but still we want to make sure anyone who wants to come can get in mm. so check out the the, the link uh, again it's free monday night uh so we free up the rest of your week so we are super excited about that a whole bunch of hosts will be there the three of us will be there yeah uh, we have a whole slew of relay uh people who will be in town it'll be a lot of fun uh just a couple of things like on those tickets so you don't have to fret about it it will be either we're not going to give a time for when they're going to be available but it will be at a time that will be reasonable in all time zones including like pacific time so you don't have to worry about waking up at 3 a.m or something right like it will be kind of morning time so I want to ask you guys a few questions about this meetup. So okay. uh, do people have to bring garments for the museum? Mm-hmm. Like a like a, a quilt? Well, I mean, you yes. have to be dressed at least. Yeah, okay. if that's what you're referring to. Once the meetup is over, are we leaving people inside the museum as sort of an exhibition? 
Well, like, did I stay there? I guess it depends yeah. how well-dressed you are, really. Like, if your garments are worthy mm-hmm. of the museum, then, yeah, maybe you stay. I don't know. That's right. Okay, that's all I wanted to know. Perfect. Yeah, and I should say, too, if you are a, uh, a non-drinker or if beer is just not your thing, we are also doing super, what I've been promised, are super fancy Italian sodas, which I'm, uh, as a non-drinker, I'm excited about. I also have questions about this. What is an Italian soda? <laughs> yeah, it's a soda with fancy things in it. So that was yeah. okay. I mean, I guess I'll find out. I'll pretend not to be Italian, and good luck with that. Yeah, that's that's gonna be real tricky. I'll for you. bring my my best um, Southern American accent, mm-hmm. which I never I never practiced. You should practice that now on the show in front of everybody. Hey, what's up, y'all? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can be one of you Try. guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. All right, uh, you're, Let's you're do blending this. right in. So yeah, so we're, we are super excited about that. Uh, these events are a lot of fun to put on, and uh, we hope to see everybody there. Yeah, the thing that um, I am most excited about, and, and really, really pleased about this event that we're able to do, is that it will be open to all ages. Like that, me too. Yeah. Th- this is something that it's tricky, right? It is really tricky because most of the venues around these sort of areas, especially as it was in San Francisco, it's all bars. Um, and by doing it at the museum, we're able to get just an area where alcohol is served, and there'll be like you know everybody's going to be ideated to get it. But other than that, then you're good to go. And as, as Stephen has said, I mean, I'm very curious as well to know what an Italian soda is. Um, mm-hmm. But we're, gonna, we're all going to find out together and we'll take so, lots of know. pictures uh, of Federico perusing said Italian sodas. Um, so, yeah, go and sign up for the email list. There'll be an email that goes out next week once all the tickets have been... Well, once I think it's once the ticket lottery is kind of out, right? So we That's know, the plan, yeah. So then people that are know they're going to be going to San Jose, we'll know so they can get the tickets. So that's why we're doing it this way. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. last year there was a lot of back and forth after that. Yeah. So, What is the email client to you recommend to stay uh, updated uh, about hmm. this? I'm using Airmail right now, but... Uh, eh. Just to make a little productive discussion here, what, what email clients should people use? I would mm. say Airmail. I mean, maybe people yeah. should use Gmail. Like if you're a Gmail person, probably use Gmail because it's probably going to get yeah. the fastest push notification. I think you need to set up a, a Gmail account just for this. Yeah, I I would also agree with that. You know, you want you want yeah. an email account that is like monitored, and you can set it up via TTT to make your lights blink or something. You know, like really, yes. really go to town on this one. All right, so so I'm I'm going to issue a, a challenge to our listeners where if you uh, hook your <laughs> Gmail notification up uh, to turn your hue lights red when you get this email, uh, send us a note, and we will talk about you in follow up next week. Yeah. If you can somehow prove that you've done this yeah. and you get a ticket, I will have a prize for you. We somehow managed to turn this into an automation challenge. Don't we do ever- yeah. for everything, though? Isn't everything <laughs> just. Isn't this show really just an automation challenge? Like, isn't that what it yeah. is? I think so. Well, until Apple buys it. <laughs> oh, Steven. Oh, Steven. <laughs> okay. So we're going to do a uh, regular follow up now. We've talked a lot about the Amazon lady in a tube. I think all three of us uh, like that platform a lot. And we have all three really talked about this idea that that assistant is not always with you because she's stuck in a tube in your kitchen. And the pros and cons of Amazon shipping an iOS app that would allow that voice assistant to be in your pocket. And uh, a story broke a couple of weeks ago that Amazon has put this in their Amazon iOS shopping app, which is like, 
not really where it belongs, in my opinion. No, no. Uh, it was rolling out slowly to users. I've got it on my account now, and yeah, it works just like the Echo works. You know, it's it's the, it's all the same service. And I was just curious: does this answer the question? Does this solve the problem that Phil Schiller and many people pointed out that Amazon's assistant is stuck in your kitchen and can't go with you? I mean, do you really expect to be talking to an assistant that lives into a shopping app where you buy, I don't know, like supplies from Amazon? I really struggle to imagine how building that assistant into the Amazon shopping app makes it more pervasive, sort of like Siri. Uh, I mean, it can never, Amazon, the Amazon Echo can never be as integrated as Siri or, you know, the Google Assistant is on Android. Uh, But I would have liked to see Amazon do something like, for example, the Astra app for iPhone, which is this dedicated UI just to talk to the Amazon Echo and to the assistant. And I would have liked Amazon to sort of do their own take on that with maybe even more features uh, because an app like Astra is built on the web service and the APIs that Amazon makes available to users. And so a third-party developer made you know an assistant UI and shipped a third-party assistant for the Amazon Echo. Uh, and Amazon could even go beyond those limitations of the API. For example, they could have Spotify integration. And instead, they chose to bundle the assistant into the shopping app where people buy stuff from Amazon. I really struggle to see the point, honestly. What I want is um, an app that Amazon makes that like, I just open it, and as soon as it's open, it's listening. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I just speak into it, and I'm done. Like the thing about Astro is like you have to hold the button and I always forget right. that and like I press it and then it's wrong. Um, like I just want to like press uh, an Echo or uh, assistant application from Amazon and then I just talk into it and it does what I need it to do. You know, same. That's all I want. I think this is a good first step. Like it's they are getting on the platform and and maybe they're seeing you know uh, how it could work if they can scale it up because the. The one thing that I think about that I don't know if we've talked about in detail is if they just release uh, an Echo app that you can talk into, that that could vastly broaden the footprint of the platform, right? That, that all of a sudden, instead of just the, I don't know how many people have bought a, an Amazon tube, but it's way fewer people than bought an iPhone and who would potentially discover this app. And so maybe this is a little bit of a Trojan horse, like get it out there, see what people think, see if we can scale it. Of course, Amazon could scale it because that's literally what Amazon does. But, you know, maybe this is a ramp into something bigger, which I'd be all for. And I I totally agree with you, Mike, an app that I can just open and it listens to me would be ideal. There's an argument to be made about building a feature into a product that a lot of people already use. And if you follow that kind of thinking, it makes sense to put the intelligence and the assistant into the, the Amazon app that millions of people use every day. But there's also a counter argument to that which is people expect to find a certain feature in the place that makes the most sense. So, for example, let's imagine that Apple is struggling to get people to use, I don't know, reminders, or that people don't use iCloud Drive. Well, now, great news. You can use, you can manage your files inside iMessage. But is that really, is that really the point? Is that, does it really make that better, or does it only introduce confusion? And, I mean, it's great that you're building a feature into an app that a lot of people already use. But if it doesn't make a if it doesn't make a lot of sense, if it's not a good fit, I think it, it, you're not solving the main problem, which is you need to have a native experience on the iPhone. And when I'm shopping with Amazon, I don't want to talk to my assistant. I just want to, you know, I don't want to control my lights from the app that I use to buy T-shirts. I just 
you know, I would like to have a dedicated UI for the assistant. And so even if it sort of makes sense in theory, you know, I can imagine this meeting with a bunch of Amazon managers and be like, hey guys, we need to we need to have the assistant on the iPhone. What are we going to do? I know, and there's a guy that raises his hand and is like, I have a great idea. Let's make it so the people, when they're buying Christmas gifts, they can also talk to the assistant. There's, the managers be like, great idea, we'll do that. Uh, I, I don't think it's a... I don't think it's a good fit. We had a really interesting email from listener John, and uh, John seems like he's like the two of you. He says he has a 12.9-inch iPad Pro for work, but he uses an iPad Mini sort of as his consumption iPad, so for uh, e-reading and comics and, and you know video and that sort of thing. And, and my sense is John uses his 12.9 as like a work computer and this, uh, this Mini for like a personal computer and doesn't really want to mix those things, uh, which I can appreciate. I, he much prefers it over the Kindle for reading. Um, and this this comes on the heels of last week's event where the iPad Mini 4 did not get an update. So it is still on the A8 CPU, whereas the iPad uses the A9 and the iPad Pros are on the A9X. It The only option now is 128 gigs for $399. And if compare that to the new iPad 5th generation, 128 gig in that model is 429 so it, uh, it is a little bit cheaper when you are doing a direct comparison, but not by much. But this comes on, you know, after a, like, this fits into the iPad mini life cycle is what I'm trying to get to. The iPad mini three was just the two with touch ID. Like it was literally the same machine just with touch ID. And now the mini four looks like it's going to stick around for, for a while longer. And I, I guess the question I want to know what you guys think is the iPad mini, uh, going away is this? Is it just on a really slow refresh cycle, and, and maybe in the fall, or maybe next year we'll see you know an iPad Mini Five, or is this you know is this the end of the road? I think with the with the new iPad, especially uh, as the price is going down and the new iPad is no slouch compared to the iPad Pro, I think there's even less of an argument in favor of an iPad Mini. And I think over time it's just ine- inevitable that more people who don't want an iPad Pro will move on to the budget nine point seven. And so, you know, between the big iPhone and the the 9.7-inch iPad becoming becoming less approachable for all customers, um, I struggle to see the place for the iPad mini. That was true before. It's even more true now that Apple has an even cheaper and affordable iPad. Uh, the other side of this that makes me wonder if maybe I'm wrong is what if Apple starts moving away from the big phone and they do this iPhone 8 that is smaller than the iPhone Plus uh, but that has a big screen in a smaller form factor and maybe at that point it sort of creates a new gap between the you know the new iPhone and the 9.7 inch iPad so maybe in the future there will be a place for the iPad mini right now I'm struggling be- because between the iPhone 7 Plus and the 9.7 inch iPad which is even cheaper I don't know what the place for the iPad mini is, uh, but maybe in the future as the lineup changes, uh, especially on the iPhone, maybe there will be an opportunity. Yeah, I think that we've hit the end of the road for the mini. I think this will be the last one. Um, I see what you're saying about the phone, but I think we'll only have that one size for one year and then like mm. the next revision, there will be two and there will be a bigger one, right? Mm. That There will be a phone which is maybe as big as the Plus now, but with an even bigger screen, right? That'd be amazing. <laughs> which is where I expect that it will go because I don't think that Apple will keep these different phone lines for a while. That doesn't, that doesn't sit with me. I, I feel like we're only going to get this like bifurcated 
iPhone line this time, or right? or maybe this this revision, whether it's like two years or whatever, because they just can't make this magical phone uh, at the scale that they would want at the price that they would want. Like so, they would offer it for everyone. Um, mm. But yeah, if they do do that, right? Like if they do end up with like two iPhone lines, one is like mega amazing and small and big at all at the same time, like the TARDIS. Maybe they would do something with the iPad Mini, but. I think that what they've done with the iPad Mini in cutting off all of the cheaper models and just selling the big storage expensive one for more money than the current iPad, to me, that screams end of the line. Like it, it just seems strange. Like why would you bump? Why would you go one twenty eight? Like mm. that just seems like a really peculiar choice. Like at least that's, that middle of the road. That's really weird. Yeah, that that's the part of this that I've really. Uh, don't understand because they could, you know, you could make a 32 gigabyte iPad mini and I mean, what would it be? Could it be 299? Like, I think they're positioning this new 9.7, like Federico said, to be the budget iPad and the mini, maybe there's a premium for its size, right? That, that, hey, if you want this sort of specialty product, you know, which a lot of people do like the mini, like John was not the only one to email us saying, I've got the iPad mini and I'm sad that it's going, you know, it could be going away. Mm-hmm. What I what I do kind of wonder, and I I could see a world in which, you know, say we're a year from now, and the iPad Pro is ten point five and twelve point nine inches. They both have the you know the the higher resolution display, and that's the iPad Pro family. And in the iPad family, you have a seven point nine, formerly the Mini, and you have the nine point seven. And I could see that being a, a like in some ways that would be the most clear. Uh, iPad lineup we've we've had in a long time, right? Like you have you have Pro family. There's two models, big and little, and you have a regular you know consumer iPad line, two sizes, big and little. So I could see the Mini surviving if that is their game plan, and I think it's a pretty good game plan. But right now, like if if this is a transition, then the Mini is just awkward right now because mm-hmm. it's there's only one option. It's 128 gigs. It's expensive. Um, so I just don't know. Like, I just, I don't know, um, what the, the long game is, but Mm. I, I kind of, I kind of like this idea of having two families. I think the question we should consider now is how much this new possible rumored approach of going bezel-less and edge-to-edge is going to change our relationship with screen sizes. Because if if every Apple device, so if the iPhone, the big and small one, and if the iPads even go edge-to-edge, how much can an iPad 9.7 with an edge-to-edge display be as portable as an iPad mini? Because I was talking to someone recently, and this person really wanted to buy an iPad mini. So I was like, what, what, why do you want to buy an iPad mini? Just get a new iPad. You know, they just updated it. It's even better, and it's even cheaper. And this person said, because still I think the iPad mini is more portable and because I can grab it with one hand and walk around the house, watch a movie, doesn't wait much, and it's still a bigger screen than my iPhone 7 Plus. Um, But I wonder if going edge to edge will sort of shift our uh, relationship with the the screen sizes and how much Apple is going to change the entire lineup once you don't have these bezels uh, anymore. So that's that's interesting to me. Yeah, I, I wonder too. Like, if if the like that design seems to be what's happening. I mean, there's so much smoke around that rumor, and I wonder if for the foreseeable future that is just a iPad Pro feature, and this new 9.7 mm. 
which is basically mm. an updated iPad Air, as a lot of people have talked about this week. It's not really an Air 2. It's it's the iPad Air updated. That maybe that stays in that, you know, bezel, you know, that current form factor for the foreseeable future. You know, if you look at something like the MacBook Air, you know, Apple, that second generation was, a, you know, sort of Apple's cheap notebook, kind of the default notebook for a lot of people. And the design has stayed the same. They haven't really done anything to it. Like, I could see this case design lasting a long time in this consumer space. You know, the consumer iPads don't get turned over very often, as we've talked about at length, right? The the refresh cycle for an end user is very long. And so so maybe it's not important to to radically change that case very often and instead use that design to further distinguish between the two. If you want a Pro, it looks like this, right? The MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air look different. Uh, the iPad Pro looks different, has this awesome uh, bezel display, and you know you can get a, a bigger screen in there, and it, it's it's visually really different than the regular iPad, and then if the Mini sticks around, so I could see even that being in favor of this this separation of the two lines, and something I think that could work for them. They, you know, this is Apple has used design as a feature right, as a selling point for, I mean, years and years, uh, way back to, you know, all these colored computers in my office, right, that if you want the graphite, you got to pay more because it's the special edition. Or if you want the black MacBook, you got to pay a little bit more, you get a bigger hard drive, but totally not worth it, but it looks cool. So you're going to pay it like that could be a thing here as well. This week's episode is brought to you by Encapsula, the multifunction content delivery network that not only boosts the performance of your website, but also protects it from denial of service attacks, whilst also securing it from bad guys, ensuring high availability. All you have to do is make a small change to your DNS and you will be able to activate Encapsula for your site. You don't have to install any hardware or software. It is ready to go as soon as you are. Then, when you do, you'll have access to Encapsula's global network of 30 data centers, which have 3 terabits of bandwidth at hand. This network stops attack traffic, making sure that denial-of-service attacks never hit your servers, whilst also caching your content and optimizing connections using their powerful CDN so your users get your content lightning fast and you'll be able to see it all working on Encapsula's dashboard where you get a live traffic view of your site with the ability to also create custom rules to meet your exact needs. As a listener of Connected, all you need to do is go to Encapsula.com slash Connected. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash Connected. This is where you'll find out more about their service and also claim a whole month of service for free just because you're a listener of this show that's encapsula.com slash connected thank you so much to the for to encapsula for their support of connected and relay fm all right we're still in well this is a follow-up slash topic zero i labeled a topic zero so the two of you wouldn't freak out in the in the document but uh mm-hmm. hmm. I, I spent a little time with the product red iphone uh there would be a link to a photo on instagram i took uh, of it and I have some impressions because that's what you do, right? You do, you do impressions. First look, first look, exclusive. By exclusive, I meant I drove twenty minutes to the Apple Store. It's exclusive it. to this show. It, yeah. it is exclusive uh, to the show. So uh, I had a, a lot of questions from people saying, you know, what does it feel like? So I own the matte black iPhone Seven Plus. I did not opt for the uh, the jet black, and this feels just like the matte black. So it is. Um, it has that same texture, you know. It's 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 smooth to the touch. It's not nearly as grippy as the Jet Black. Um, feels like and as aluminum. Feels like the other phones. Um, 
And the color, though, the color is uh, amazing. It's actually hard to do it justice in photos, and that's just an iPhone photo. But uh, it is extremely saturated. It, it it looks like instead of being anodized red, because really that red doesn't go very deep, right? Like if you scratch it, there's silver underneath. But it feels like the metal is red. Like it feels like it's made out of something red. It's, it's extremely saturated, extremely evenly done. And it is uh, – so I compared it with a red iPod Touch, and it is slightly darker and kind of like a more vibrant red. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. Uh, it does say product red on the back. Uh, you can see that in the in the photo, the little product red, you know, with brackets on it. I'm curious if the China edition of this has that that branding because Apple, you know, there was something about the the website uh, not having the logo, and so yeah, that the phone doesn't either. Yeah, the phone doesn't. Um, it's still red, and apparently yeah, Apple still de- confirmed that they're still giving the money, but that yes. doesn't have the branding on it, and apparently. Um, I don't know enough about this. I'll find some links to put in the show notes, but apparently this is like a pretty touchy thing in China. Yeah. So so there's that. Um, but here, everywhere else, it says Product Red. Uh, as to be expected, the iPods had that logo on the back as well. There's been a lot of conversation uh, about the Touch ID sensor, the ring around it being silver. And I'm going to be the contrarian here because I think both of you wish it were red. Yep. I think it totally works because the Apple logo on the back is the same silver. And it would have, as you turn the phone over, it feels very cohesive. And I think that the red would just be too high contrast. I think it would be, I think, just my opinion, is that it would be a little jarring. So for me, the silver ring totally works. Um, the, the There was a comment somewhere uh, – I saw it in a YouTube review somewhere, uh, maybe MKVHD had it, where the the little mute, uh, so if you had the mute uh, ringer, ringer little switch on the side of the phone, uh, on the other phones, like on my uh, matte black phone, if you have it to mute and you look at the button, there's a little orange line screened on there, so you can kind of visually see if it's muted or not. And on this phone, that line is uh, is white, so you can really see it really pops out. It's like just a hmm. really nice little feature that sort of jumped out at me. Uh, but there has been a ton of conversation about the front of it, right? That mm. the, a lot of pe- a lot of people wish the front were the black cover glass instead of white. Um, I will start this conversation by saying I buy black iPhones because I don't like the white face. Uh, I like that when the phone is off, it's kind of hard to tell what's what, and I don't care for the white front. Um, but this one's white, and it does look a little Christmassy. It looks a little bit like a candy cane, you know, the the whole red and white uh, holiday theme. But I think it looks clean. I think it looks nice. Uh, I don't mind it in person. But there is a uh, an article at Mac Rumors. Uh, a couple of people on YouTube have basically merged phones. And so this one video, this guy took a jet black phone and basically took the guts out of it and put it in a red case. Uh, you have to keep the, the the problem with it is the Touch ID sensor is tied to the logic board. And if those product if those product numbers mismatch, the Touch ID doesn't work and the home button doesn't work. So you have to like replace the logic board too. Like, do not do this. I mean, you're spending like two grand to make this happen. But I do have to say, it looks pretty good. It looks much better to me than the red and white. I'm gonna be that guy. Like, I don't like yeah. either white or black. I think they should just well, go all red. Like, just go all red. No, like, why? No, would, why does it have to be terrible. white or black? Why not all that red? That would look terrible. No, it wouldn't. Why would it look terrible? It would look terrible. No, it wouldn't. This is the problem with having bezels. Uh, you need to make decisions from the front and the 
Exactly. This is how you can sort out this problem. Just get rid of all the bezels. Come on. Yeah, what's wrong exactly. with you? Yeah. I mean, uh, personally, I, I've always preferred the red and black combo in anything, whether it's, you know, like a piece of clothing or any accessory. I think the Beats headphones, for example, red and black, they look awesome. Um, I, I, it looks to me like the, you know, red and white, like the worst Waldo phone. Uh, I, uh, I guess Apple had some white iPhones <laughs> left in stock, so maybe the best way to do it is to get a, a new color for the back. Um, I wouldn't do what the guy on, on, on the YouTube video did. It looks crazy. But I gotta say, I'm looking at this black and red phone and, and it looks awesome to me. So I, I wish Apple had such option. And when I showed it to Sylvia, and, and I mentioned Sylvia because she's usually, she has much better taste than me um, when it comes to colors and stuff. And show the the red back i was like hey apple has a red iphone she was like cool that's awesome and then i said but it's got a white front and she gave a <laughs> double thumbs down so um i i would have loved to see what the guy on youtube did uh but of course d- don't you know buy two iphones just to create a frankenstein mix don't do it it's crazy yeah uh i, I did have a an interesting conversation this weekend with somebody who I know out in real life and they know I do tech stuff. I'm not sure they know exactly, but they know that I do tech stuff. And they had seen some story somewhere about this product, Red iPhone. And they are on, I think he said that he's on an iPhone 6. And was like, hey, uh, is this worth upgrading to at this point? He really, The Red really spoke to him. And I was surprised, like, A, that this story broke out of tech circles because it's just another color, right? It's kind of easy i think for for some of us to be like uh oh, you know this this is not really a thing but uh people do care about this stuff and you know so i had to, i had to weigh those options with him like you know it's mid cycle but you know next year like you probably have the 7s and this other expensive phone so like how much money do you want to spend and i think he's going to do it like this is someone who keeps an iphone you know for the whole contract period you know mm-hmm. 2 years or whatever and going from a 6 to a 7 is still a great update and uh, he was interested in the plus. I think I'm trying to talk him into that. So there's nothing to say that there will be another red phone. So like, if red is your too. thing, yeah. you should do it, right? Like, it, if like you're in that situation, right, where you're like, okay, it's nearly upgrade time. If you know that September there be might be a new phone, but the new one, the new new one, might be out of what you want to spend, and you really like red, like that's your thing, then you know, do it, do it, like. You just know that you'll be waiting again another couple of years, and then by then, the new new phone you might be able to get because it'll be cheaper. So if red is your deal, then get it because it's also charity and that's awesome. And yeah, yeah. So it's uh yeah, that's that's an interesting point. And you know, it we've t- Jason on Upgrade has talked about this for a long time. Uh, you know that he wants to see more colors in the iPhone line. This was a huge thing. Uh, in iPod world, right? Every year there'd be new nanos and there'd be new colors. And they do this now with the watch bands. And it's exciting to see them slowly do it with the iPhone. And I think that it is, it's obviously different than the 5C, right? That was a cheap phone, it w- or cheaper phone. It was a year old phone in a new case. It was kind of like super weird in a bunch of ways. But the people who bought the 5C, there weren't many of them, but they really liked them. And they got to choose a color. And bringing this to the the sort of, mainstream iPhone is uh, something I wish Apple would do more of, honestly. So, uh, you guys want to talk about updates? Everyone's favorite topic? Updates, software updates? Let's talk about updates. All right. So, yesterday, uh, uh, Monday the 27th, was update day. So, Apple released 
uh, iOS 10.3, macOS Sierra 10.12.4, watchOS 3.2, and a bunch of uh, iWork stuff. So uh, I'll start with the Mac, and then uh, we can move on to the the other more interesting things. Uh, Night Shift is available on the Mac. So this has come from iOS 9.3. It's finally made it a year and a half, it's a year later um, to the Mac. I wrote a blog post yesterday comparing it to Flux. Uh, depending on what you want, Flux is still like, obviously it's like the more power user features. Like the thing that I really like on Flux is I can be running it so my screen is warmer and then I, I tab over to Photoshop and it cools back down. So if I'm working on photos, it doesn't interfere. Uh, as you might imagine, Nightshift doesn't offer anything like that. But other than that, they're very similar. So you can set a schedule. You can set how warm it wants to be. So I have mine just sunset to sunrise. Uh, that's how I have it on iOS. It works fine for me. Um, but uh, so Nightshift is there. Um, you, you can go check it out. Uh, really, the only other feature is the touch bar support for the App Store. So, Whoop. you know, all the times you're in the, the Mac App Store, you have touch bar support. Yeah. Uh, Siri knows about cricket scores now. I have no idea why this takes an OS update. Like, cricket's a really complex sport, man. Well, you know, uh, uh, okay. There's a lot of rules, you know? They had to really like nail Siri's that into CoreOS. Like they gotta. You can you cannot do cricket on the in the cloud, man. Come that's on, that's true. just crazy talk. That's true. You need you need an iOS device to do cricket. You know. Hmm. <laughs> uh, this should be something. Apple should just be rolling out Siri stuff all the time. Like, why is it tied to a notice update? I don't think it is. Like, I think they just. It do is. That. It was no, in the. It no, was no, in no, the no, release no. notes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that they said that, right? But I don't think that that's the case. This is just when they chose to update it. Maybe. Now they've done other stuff tied to updates, anyways. Uh, and finally, a bunch of fixes for PDF stuff. The PDF subsystem in Sierra has been really buggy, um, which is problematic for lots of reasons. That seems to be better in ten twelve four. Mail.app got some stuff. There's some stability issues there. I mean, all in all, it's a point release for the Mac, right? Night shift is the big thing here. And uh, and it's fine. So, uh, Federico, you want to tell us about iOS 10.3? So the big news in 10.3, uh, from a consumer perspective, I guess, it's the addition of Find My AirPods. So now in the Find My iPhone app, which needs to be renamed, by the way, because it yeah. does much more than finding find my iPhone. stuff. <laughs> yeah, find my devices. Find find the things I spend my a lot of money on app. Um, now you can find AirPods and they're visualized on a map. You can actually play sound effects on both. So you get this little like uh, little sound effect that goes up in volume until you find the AirPods. Uh, and it's nice. Uh, we, we were talking about, you know, Apple needs to have a solution to help people who misplace the AirPods find them again. I'm not sure people are actually losing AirPods as much as we worried they would, uh, especially because you spend a lot of money with this for these things, and you actually care about them, and you pay attention to what how you use them. But still, it's a nice addition. Thing is, it might not be happening a lot, but they are infinitely more losable than the previous headphones I used. You they know? potentially are, and I gotta say, once uh, I fell asleep with my AirPods, and um, I couldn't find them again in the morning, <laughs> and they were they were tucked uh, somewhere uh, between my between my sheets, and I just couldn't find them. So uh, luckily, they still had some <laughs> battery left. And I used the Find My AirPods app in the 10.3 beta to play the sound effect. And sure enough, I did find them. So that was convenient. Uh, so if, you, if you're if the type of person who tends to lose AirPods or, you know, it just, it just 
fine to have the option, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And it's nicely done. It's very nicely integrated with the rest of the app. So Beats in the streets, AirPod in the sheets. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually don't go around with the Beats anymore, but yes, that's very funny. Thank you very much. I don't know how funny a joke is if you say that afterwards, but you know, I'm sure somebody appreciated it. <laughs> now, from a developer perspective, this is the big change on the App Store. Now developers can reply to customer reviews on their apps. Uh, they, at this point, they can do so from iTunes Connect. So if you're a developer, you log into iTunes Connect, you look at the, your uh, reviews for your apps, and now there's a reply button to reply to a person. Apple has posted some guidelines on how to sort of... Um, manage the, the you know your your relationship with customers publicly on the app store the kind of tone that you that you apple recommends you use and sort of the approach that you take for for example apple says if you have a lot of reviews maybe first you should start from the negative ones and reply to people who have problems and issues with your app and then move on to the more congratulatory ones you know that's like people good, who say, that's I good advice that's that, that is actually that's actually good advice you know, maybe if there's someone with a one-star review say your app is broken you stole my money maybe you should start from that yeah. um also i just saw on twitter if you're a customer who leaves a review so the opposite end and a developer replies to you, you get an email notification saying, well, the developer replied to your app store review uh, mm-hmm. saying this and this. So that's nice. How is this not in the iTunes Connect iOS app? Exactly. I saw some developers saying, well, we really need a better way to respond to reviews from the iPhone. And I'm pretty sure eventually, you know, and I say eventually, Apple will update the iTunes Connect uh, iOS app to let developers respond from that instead of having to log into the iTunes Connect website which everyone knows can be fairly terrible, especially on iOS. Uh, I think this is, so far, and Apple, I should say, they're holding most of the developer reviews for quote-unquote approval. Um, So I guess there's some people at Apple looking at what developers uh, write, because there's some developers who really cannot take (laughs) negative feedback. And, you know, we we see these emails privately on our end, there are some developers who don't like any form of criticism. And so I guess Apple wants to make sure that there's no profanity in there, that you know everything is uh, sort of safe and sound for the App Store. That said, I think it's an awesome change. I think it's it has the potential to change how both customers and developers approach reviews. Because if you're a customer and you, you, know, you tend to be that kind of person, I spent 99 cents, now I should completely lash out this guy who made an app that doesn't work and doesn't do what I like. Now that you know the developer can respond to you, maybe you'll try to be a little more constructive, I guess. And from the developer point of view, having a new avenue to being able to reach out to customers and try to fix issues, it creates a lot of changes in terms of how do you do technical support, for example. Now you have a public venue where people can read. Uh, For example, if there's some part of the interface that some people don't understand, now you can explain that publicly. So I think overall, it has the potential to be a great change, and I'm really curious to see how, you know, months from now, if it'll shift the behavior for both users and, and developers on the App Store. I haven't seen any anywhere, right? Like, I, no, I've been, like, poking around, and I can't find any on the yeah. App Store. Like, I, I know that people are replying and stuff like that, and I wonder what this kind of, like, review process is. Like, are they always going to be doing this? Like, this is going to be some of the stuff that, I guess, just shakes out over time. Mm-hmm. As for other changes, uh, there's a, the Settings app has been updated with a new uh, profile screen. 
So uh, now you have all of these details about your iCloud account, uh, Apple ID, uh, all of your uh, security information, and there's a single screen at the top of the settings. You can tap in, you see your profile picture, you see all of your uh, most important stuff all in one page, which is great. And I saw uh, some screenshots from people who don't have two-factor authentication enabled. Actually, Apple is using this screen to promote switching to uh, two-factor authentication, which is nice, because the more secure we are, the better, especially with these times. Um, there's a new file system, and now I don't want to talk about a file system because I'm, I don't have the knowledge. My basic understanding, and maybe Stephen can sort of confirm this, is that the Apple file system, APFS, um, it's uh, it's been a huge undertaking from a technical perspective because Apple, of course, just changed virtually overnight tens of millions of iOS devices to a new file system without any major issues, I think. Um, and this new file system brings in faster uh, copy operations, for example. It makes it faster to delete files from the file system. But at this point, I, I really, I haven't looked into this. I never actually understood quite well what file systems do. It's just that kind of thing that, you know, it makes for good conversation. It's like, hey, you know, you got a new file system. And the other person's like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. But nobody actually knows what it's about. Um, <laughs> Yeah, unless you're John Circus, but you know, we're not. My guess is it will be more impactful on the Mac, you know, because things like snapshots and all those other things, like all that on iOS is really hidden away. And some of the features don't really matter when you can't access the file system, right? Like something like Time Machine could be drastically different at some point in the future under APFS due to, you know, the snapshotting uh, stuff and. You know, you're not partitioning things right on on your iPhone or iPad, but people do that on the Mac. And so I think for iOS, it's just, you know, moving it onto a modern foundation that is Mm. hopefully more stable, seems to be faster, as some people have reported. Um, But I think think most people will never know. Like, oh, this update took a little bit longer, and they go about the way, which is how it should be, right? Like, you shouldn't be, like, aware that your file system is turning over. Like, that's something that people just don't need to know or, or, or definitely don't understand. So I'm glad it went well. I mean, that's seriously a huge deal. Like I haven't seen a single report of people's, you know, iOS devices exploding. Breaking their phones. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's incredible. Like that is an incredible task that they've pulled off. And the Mac will follow suit, assumingly with, you know, Mac OS 10.13 this, this fall. And I think that's where we'll re- really see it, it kind of make a difference. I almost wish there was uh, a Mr. Robot-like TV show, but instead of hacking, it's about switching the button to enable the new file system for millions of people. You know, with the drama, and there's like an engineer who plays Mr. File System, and then he needs to flip the button. That's super fascinating, and I wish it was dramatized. Uh, but of course, it, this will never happen. Still, this is the things I, you know, I think about. Uh, anyway, wh- what about WatchOS? Yeah, so WatchOS is here. It's got Siri Kit support for third-party apps. I never used this. In fact, I thought it was already there. I was like, "Oh, they didn't have this. Weird." Uh, so, so there's that. Um, really, the the fe- the user-facing feature is theater mode. So, if you enable this, it's in Control Center. It's a little set of faces, and you tap them. And if your watch is in this mode, and you turn your wrist over the screen will not wake up. The screen will only wake up if you tap the watch or turn the digital crown. For me, like, I don't really care about that in a movie. Like, it'll be nice. 
But I think where this is going to be really interesting is if you're using a sleep tracking app, right? So if you turn over in the middle of the night and your watch wakes up, even if you have the brightness all the way down. Oh, that's a good idea. And you have a watch face that's like nothing on it, right? It's just like just the time is red or something. It still is light. And, you know, for me, at least it could still wake me up or, you know, wake my spouse up. And so to have my watch not come on unless I tap it or turn the crown is going to be great at night. So Mm. uh, Apple calls it theater mode. I'm thinking about this as sleepy time mode. That's a better name. You you don't wanna you don't wanna be woken by the all the all the nits of the Apple Watch display. No, that so many nits. So, so many all, all the, nits. the nits. Yeah. All right, we're obviously gonna talk about workflow, right? Are like we? we're obviously gonna do that. Like mm. I assume that there are people in the audience right now out there in podcast listening land who are like, "Have I tuned into the wrong show? Am I on the wrong week?" No, we're gonna talk about workflow. Don't worry. But before we do. Let me take a moment to thank Eero for supporting this week's show. Why do you need Eero? Let me tell you why. It's because everything in your house connects to the internet now. There is everything. Who would have thought that our lamps would need to connect to the internet? Well, this is becoming more and more of a thing in our homes. Wi-Fi is the glue that holds all of this stuff together. We talk so much about home automation on this show and like the house of the future and all that sort of stuff. Well, all of this needs Wi-Fi. Even if you just want to binge Seinfeld, which I'm doing now, by the way, Federico, you inspired me. Good and I'm job. now I'm watching Seinfeld again. So that's good. I'm nice. enjoying that. <laughs> nice. So we're doing that, but we need Wi-Fi for it. And the thing about Wi-Fi is that Connections can be inconsistent, slow, and unresponsive at home. And to get the best possible connection, you need a distributed system. So you're able to get connection all over the home, you know, multiple devices all over the house. Previously, this has either been expensive to do or just not very great, right? Like you might get a bunch of extenders and it's all different network names and you don't want any of that. You want Eero. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. This isn't a simple extender. Each Eero has two radios inside. It keeps your connection fast and everything in sync, all on that one network name. You then have the app, which you can have on iOS or Android. It will walk you through each step of the setup process. It's quick, easy, and painless. And then that app will let you manage your network from the palm of your hand. You'll be able to tell how many devices are connected at a certain time, and also the internet speed that you're getting from your service provider. What I really like about the Eero is that they look nice. They're these nice little white devices. You know, It's like the school of, of nice industrial design that, that Apple, I guess, kind of pioneered. And Eero is in that, right? They just see the little devices. They're, they're not like these huge things with a bunch of antennas sticking out of the side of them. They're just these nice little white pucks, and you can put them around your home. And they don't take up much space, and you can just have them blend in. Very nice. Very nice indeed. The average house in the U.S. is easily covered by between two or three Eros, so a three-pack is a good starting point. But if you live in a large space and need more, you can add up to ten in total if you live in some kind of Wi-Fi-enabled mansion. And because of their 30-day money-back guarantee, you can always return one of the Eros in the pack if you want, and you'll get the money back if you don't need it. Eero is the original whole home Wi-Fi system, and to celebrate its first birthday, they have lowered the price for everyone. You can now get an Eero 3-pack for $3.99, which is $100 off the previous price, or a 2-pack for $2.99, which is $50 off. And you can get Eero at this lower price everywhere at Eero.com, E-E-R-O.com, Best Buy, or Amazon. However you want to buy it, you're going to benefit from that great price. Thank you so much to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. <sighs> So let, let me just lay out the news for people who haven't heard it, and then I'll let you guys get into this. Okay. 
So last week, it was announced uh, via TechCrunch that Apple had acquired Workflow. Uh, if you're not familiar, the automation tool for iPad and iPhone that is, uh, I would say, at the core of, of basically anyone doing power user stuff on the iPad. Um, it's pretty key. It Workflow is a separate third-party app written by a small team of developers. Uh, that team and the app are now part of Apple. So the app is now free on the iOS app store. Uh, an update came out to it that killed integration with Google and a couple other things. Uh, Marco Arment on ATP said that um, Workflow had sent out agreements to developers to sign saying that they had permission to use their app in Workflow. And I think my assumption is that Google didn't sign it for whatever reason. They didn't see it. They didn't think it was important. They didn't sign it because they knew it was going on. Um, I don't, we're going to talk about this. I don't blame Apple for that. A lot of people did. Um, I think that was a little unfair, but uh, it's different, right? And and now this team and its app are part of Apple. And we should address the elephant in the room that this might be our fault because we <laughs> talked about it. And I asked point blank, the two of you three weeks ago, what would you do if workflow went away? And so there's been a lot of uh, talk of the prompt curse coming back where, you know, we used to talk about photo management services and they go out a week, the ne- go out of business the next week. And it, we killed like four photo management services, basically in the span of like three months. Yeah. I think we have to stop doing this show, like, or just talk about things that we don't like. I know. I'm starting to think that it's all Steven's fault specifically, because I, I would like to go back and listen to how many services he brought up in the first place mm. that eventually shut down. Good point. So... You, uh, there's something about you, man. You mention stuff and it gets acquired. So either you have incredibly good taste and an eye for acquisitions, it's definitely or that. you're cursed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one or the other, man. It's, it's literally one or the other. There's no middle ground. Yeah. There's no other solution. No. I'm either the best closet VC on the planet. Yes. Or, <laughs> or I have some ancient curse raining yep. through my, like running through my veins. It's because yes. you work in an Apple Macintosh burial ground. That's the problem. That's it. Wow. That's it. That's what happened. Wow. I just unboxed a new Mac Mini just last night. Someone sent me. Uh, so, obviously, there's lots of things to talk about here, um, and I think I think we could lump them into a few categories that I kind of want to work through. Uh, one is like, you know, sort of our initial response. What does this mean for the future of workflow? What does it mean for the future of iOS and macOS uh, automation? And what could we do to prepare for those things, right? If these outcomes are possible, how can we uh, prepare for them and, you know, guarantee we can still do our work the way we want to do it? So, uh, Federico, I know that the the people have been uh, clamoring. Someone has us to do a special episode. <laughs> Actually, last week no, we had a lot this. of people that were like, "Where's the special episode?" It's like, yeah. why would we do a special episode? This is perfect topic for a regular episode. We need topics, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. And, you know? and we've had time to think about this because this news broke yes. uh, almost a week ago. So we have had time to. Uh, at least I feel calmer about it. I feel like I've had time to consider it. But Federico Fatici. Uh, workflow Jedi. Don't what you do you assume think? I feel calmer as well? I was just gonna say, like before we do ask Federico, <laughs> I don't feel any calmer. Like I, no, I, I, I think I do. I think I, I actually do. About this. I do. I've, I've been thinking about this. So, 
I, I have a lot of thoughts, of course, as you can imagine. Stuff that I've been thinking about before um, this acquisition stuff, uh, this news broke. And if you go back and read my old workflow pieces, most of them, especially the the big ones, tend to have the same conclusion. Where I wonder what's gonna happen in the you know in the path towards workflow 2.0. All of them tend to focus on what the workflow team should address. And I've been thinking about you know about workflow now that it's been acquired, and I've started putting together these thoughts. I have a story that is coming out on the website, I think in a couple of days, I'm editing the story now. And I try to go, you know, a bit deep into the technical aspects of what Apple could and couldn't do. But I think I want to focus on the message today. Um, And I think we're at the point where this could either be the best thing ever that ever happened to workflow and the only possible outcome for the future of iOS automation, for reasons that I'll get to in a minute, or it could spell the end of all the crazy awesome awesome stuff we've been doing, the end of iOS automation. And, you know, just like any other acquisition, the startup tends to be folded into the main company and you never hear from the founders again until it's a couple of years later, they cash in and they leave the company and they do something else. So those are the two outcomes. Um, And I want to start with a question. I want to... I want to sort of reflect on how much could a workflow grown without a direct partnership with Apple? Um, mm. Because we see workflow, you know, they for the past two years, they, they, they I think they've stood out because they always managed to find a way to work around the limitations of iOS and do crazy things that helped a lot of people like us be more productive. But I have to wonder, at some point, how many workarounds are there to exploit? Are, how, many, how many things you can imagine running around Apple's limitations before the next step? And I have to wonder if maybe working with Apple and making workflow a feature of iOS was the only possible path that we should have considered in the first place. I'm actually surprised we didn't consider Apple approaching workflow possibly because of all the talk there's been lately about apple not caring about you know productivity and ios and automation of course we didn't consider this idea but i want to well, ask you i will say on that like i think i think what one of the things that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago we were kind of dancing around this scenario and my thinking was if it hasn't happened already why would it happen that was that when i thought about could apple want them it's like, well, they've shown themselves to be incredible developers and engineers for a long time. That if they ever wanted them, they would they would have already wanted them. That was kind of my feeling on it. But like, I kind of just mm. kind of brought it out. My feeling on this is, um, I have a, a theory um, that is based on some rumors I've heard and some logical uh, explanations. I think um, that we're not gonna get. Uh, any workflow stuff in iOS 11. But I think Apple has been, I believe Apple has been thinking about doing things similar to what workflow can do right now, but in an even more integrated fashion and for more system apps. So I believe that in iOS 11, we'll see Apple laying the groundwork for features that maybe next year will enable workflow to be a system feature on iOS. And I don't know the details of what those 
that sort of groundwork could be. I have some theories. Could be, for example, a better way for apps to communicate directly with each other. Could be an sort of an opening up of the of the app sandboxing model. But I feel like we're not gonna get any major updates to workflow anymore. I think we should prepare for workflow staying on the app store without receiving any major updates. At best, we will get bug fixes. That's my my theory. Again, it's not a, an understanding based on things I've heard. It's my theory. And I believe Apple will use iOS 7 as sort of a starting point to lay the groundwork for the future of workflow. And the other aspect of my theory is that Apple... And again, I'll go deeper uh, in an article because it's very tricky to explain on a show. But I think Apple, at a fundamental level, they don't like the whole idea of automation based on URL schemes. I have reason to believe that Apple, that one of Apple's goals with iOS 8, so we're talking almost three years ago, with extensions, Apple wanted to kill off URL schemes. And that strategy failed because uh, extensions are great. We love them. We use them every day. But they couldn't replace URL schemes for two things. One is automation, but the most important one is a way for apps to directly talk to each other. I'm going to give you an easy example. Uh, any app that has a login screen has a one-password button. And when you press it, in theory, you would expect the one-password interface to come up, sort of like it does on a Mac. Except it's not possible on iOS because you need to go through the share sheet because there's no way for apps to communicate directly with each other. Uh, I cannot say, well, I'm a, I'm a login screen. I want to, I choose you, 1Password. You know, show me the, <laughs> the logins <laughs> that are available. And that's not possible with a share sheet. So Apple's goal uh, to sort of provide extensions um, didn't eliminate URL schemes. And so you have developers still using those schemes for automation and still using them for things like, I want to enable customers to, to switch between two apps easily. And, uh, and I think that Apple look, looked at workflow. And, um, you know, workflow is split in two parts. There's the native actions and there's the third-party app ac actions. And all of those app actions are based on URL schemes. Those are the same URL schemes that required a contract to be signed and, you know, all the, the, the things that happened with the acquisition. And I don't think Apple will ever, ever do URL scheme stuff as workflow currently does. And, I, and again, this is my theory. I believe that if Apple continues to invest on workflow, and if Apple doesn't cripple workflow, you know, by saying, well, we're just going to do like Automator on the Mac. You can do system stuff, but no third-party app things. So assuming that Apple keeps workflow as a way to automate anything on your device, whether it's Apple Music or TweetBot or whatever, there's going to be a new way to do app actions. And I believe that way will be based on stuff we'll see in iOS 11. It will be a new framework. It won't expose any URL schemes. And this is the reason why Workflow eventually, you know, the team settled on the idea of going to Apple. Because without teaming up with Apple, they would eventually be limited by what Workflow can do. Because Apple, I think, again, my theory, their plan is to completely deprecate URL schemes in the future. And without those, workflow, you know, couldn't go anywhere. And so the best possible outcome for users was to sell out to Apple and let's build this thing together. 
Um, so a week later, I feel better because keeping this in mind and looking at all of these pieces, right? Looking at the, the path the workflow followed for the past two years, knowing that Apple doesn't like URL schemes, and I know this for a fact, they, they just hate URL schemes and what users can do because they're unsafe, they're hard to discover, they, you know, they're just a, a hack, basically. Knowing that, and knowing what workflow can do, and seeing, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand that Apple isn't stupid. They have seen just how many millions of people, I would say, depend on workflow to be more productive on iOS. So if you combine that, you combine your other schemes and what workflow wanted to build in the future, and the idea that Apple is going to focus more on iPads, you know, especially with iOS 11 and being productive on iOS. I think it's uh I don't want to say a perfect storm but I think it's a I'm I'm feeling pretty positive about the partnership. But what is worst case scenario? Cuz this seems like a best case scenario. <laughs> You've obviously thought about it. What do you think is worst case? The worst case um and by the way I I don't think the best case is m- my final conclusion. But the worst case is it's going nowhere. <laughs> the workflow team has been acquired because they're crazy geniuses. They're going to work on some framework. Apple is not doesn't believe in automation, doesn't believe in a way to um, let users create their own little scripts, their own little, you know, modifications to iOS. And the app is going to stay on the store out of respect, sort of like a grace period. Uh, but, you know, coming, you know, come iOS 11, iOS 11.3, iOS 12, the app is going to disappear and Apple is going to, be like, hey, well, by the way, there's some great new features in iOS 11 that make it possible for users to don, you know, they don't need workflow anymore. And we all end up with, uh, you know, the app is going to be removed and the links to the public workflows will go away. Uh, that's my worst case. Um, I don't think it's, it's uh, I'm sitting somewhere in the middle. I think the, the workflow app is eventually going to disappear. I think there's going to be an, a complete Apple rewrite from the ground up. Call it Workflow 2, call it Apple Workflow, call it Automator, there's going to be a new app. My, I feel like, sort of like Beats Music lets you migrate from Beats Music to Apple Music. There's going to be a tool to move your existing workflows to the new system. And I believe Apple wants to do this rewrite because they believe in automation, but they don't believe in the kind of automation we've been doing so far, especially with URL schemes. I think... Starting with iOS 11, we're, we're going to see a new model for apps to interact with each other. Based on that, based on that foundation, we're going to see workflow evolving to an even better solution to let users create their own improvements for iOS, their own extensions, their own automations to let apps talk without having to do any of this Aki URL scheme stuff. It's going to be mm. safe. It's going to be secure. It's going to be build well permission dialogues to make sure that you really want to access documents and data from other apps. That's what I'm settling with for now. Uh, the current app will eventually disappear. There's going to be problems for existing workflows, but I believe Apple Apple knows that they would just, otherwise they would be just throwing out all of the goodwill, you know, for all of these iOS users that are using iPads and iPhones as productivity devices. And and I don't think they're stupid. And I think there's a, there's a case to be made for Previous acquisitions like Test Flight and Beats Music, for example, uh, Apple knew perfectly that 
developers depended on TestFlight and that a lot of users were already switching to Beats Music. So instead of just throwing it all out, because you know you can find great engineers anywhere these days, but can you find the crazy genius who built a product that you actually want to be your own? And that's workflow. And I don't think Apple wants to just let it die and just to just abandon it. It's going to be a long road and it's not going to be now. It's going to be at least a year away. But I think we'll see. I'm feeling positive about seeing the results of this acquisition. The the thing about that that jumps out at me is Apple already has a system for apps to talk to each other. On the Mac, it's Apple events. Yes. And it's been there since System 7, which you know came out 100 years ago. And they have things on top of it, like Apple Script. You can use um, JavaScript now. You can use Apple Script Objective C stuff. They're, the most recent episode of Mac Power Users is all about this. You should go check out. It's really awesome. But um, I, th- I, I agree with you that X callback URL and using URLs in general for this is is hacky. There's you know potential security concerns. It's not as baked in as something like Apple events or automator actions on the Mac can be. It's sort of on top, right? And they sort of dip into an app and do something, but they're not they're not integrated throughout the stack, if you will. And I could see a world where Apple moves away from them to something else, but they already have something else. And in my mind, looking at those two facts, like looking at like, okay, URLs maybe aren't the future of this. Apple events is like old and creaky in places and automator you know, requires a, a Mac developer to build an actions to their app to, to even be available to it, that maybe they can build something for the future of both platforms. So they can build something that would truly be cross-platform because right now, automator actions are stuck on the Mac and your workflow callback URL stuff is stuck on iOS. And you there's you can't build a tool or a system that, that works on both, really. Um and that is interesting to me. Would Apple build something that would consider both platforms that they would consider? Look, if you take the time and learn how this works, you know, if you're a developer and you're cross-platform, you can use the same type of code in both of your apps to do this. If you are an end user and you work on both platforms, you can create a workflow in one place and it work everywhere. Like that's really exciting to me to to have something something new, something modern, something secure from the ground up that would uh, allow for this. Who knows if that's what they're doing? You know, I agree with you. There's a lot of uncertainty around that. But this comes at a time, an interesting time, where um, Apple is, you know, we, we went from a conversation just a couple weeks ago of them, you know, letting go of Sal, and they're not being uh, the Apple script guy in there anymore, right? And the automation guy, no longer at Apple. But then they buy workflow. And so... My hope is that they have an eye cut to the future and say, you know, we want to build something new that can work for all of our customers, not just iOS, not just Mac, but for everybody. Um, so, yeah, it, I, either way, it's going to be long, right? Like you said, this is going to be a long process. But I think if they do it right, it could definitely be worthwhile at the end of the day. Let's take a break. There's more. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about on this. Uh, and I want to do that. And uh, <laughs> I have some... 
Stuff to say. This week's episode of Connected is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone, whilst also supporting a more sustainable food system. They set the highest standards for their ingredients. For example, their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming, their beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals, and their seafood is sourced under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium seafood watch they care about the food that you're putting in your body and they also care about the way that you make it they want to make it easy for you so for less than ten dollars a meal you get all of these beautiful seasonal recipes and high quality ingredients delivered to you with these great step-by-step recipe cards that are easy to follow you can create the meals in less than 40 minutes and you'll be able to get all of your ingredients sent to you in little portions and cartons. And everything is just what you need, no more, no less. So that way you don't have to run to the grocery store to get a clove of garlic. The clove of garlic is there. You get those little eggs in the little egg boxes, which are really cute. All of that stuff is nice and set out for you. So you're going to get what you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. What about sweet and sour salmon with bok choy and ginger fried rice? What about Swiss chard and potato shakshuka? I don't even know what that is, but it sounds delicious. With garlic toast and Tinkerbell peppers, or spicy chicken sandwiches with Alabama white sauce and sweet potato. These are just some of the meals that are available right now with Blue Apron. You can choose from those meals or any of the long lists that they have each week, or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. I think the thing that will surprise you even more is how good you're going to get with cooking. Getting this stuff in a couple of times a week, three times a week, you'll be able to follow the recipe cards, and over time, you're going to learn new skills so you'll be able to cook better food at home for you and your family. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental US. There's no weekly commitment. You only get the deliveries when you want them, and their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. Check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com connected. And I would like to thank Pasta Boy in the chat room who has told me that shakshuka is eggs, spices, and tomatoes. And it's very common there in Israel where they are. So there you go. It sounds like a very tasty meal. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash connected. And we thank them for their support of this show and Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right. Um, this is where I feel we are right now i i really feel like that this is just a crossroad and Mm. there are like there are two ways we go from this either ios starts to have automation baked right in as federico speaks about with this new mechanism to make apps talk to each other which by the way i assume will be just as frustrating as waiting for split screen to come to an app right Mm -hmm. there will be this (laughs) period of time where we're waiting for apps to get this stuff that none of them get and we have to like wish and hope and fingers crossed every week that Google's going to add it to Docs, whatever it might be. But that's one thing, right? And that could be really interesting, very exciting. And with the possibility, the strong possibility to be infinitely more powerful than Workflow could have ever been, right? Because it's the OS. Mm-hmm. The other one is productivity on iOS is going to stall. Yeah. Because... Yeah. I, at least from the, the people that I know that use iOS for to, to get work done, that is you know, relatively complex work or, or, or work that is replacing work done on their Mac or their PC, it feels like 
and again, this could be a, a self-selecting group of people, but it feels like workflow is a part of all of those people's productivity in some way. They use workflow to do simple things or they use workflow to do incredibly complex things. But workflow is just one of those things because there's just some stuff on iOS that honestly, the only way to do it is to use that application or that you can maybe try and do it with like a bunch of apps or like you buy mm -hmm. some single self-purpose apps. But workflow is this one app that can do a bunch of different things. And, and my concern is that either it this goes nowhere. Or my other concern is that we fall somewhere in the middle. And that, it feels as uncomfortable to me. Like, that there will be this great new system, but there is stuff that I do on iOS right now that I won't be able to do anymore. Like, I struggle to imagine Apple's system interacting with web APIs. No, I actually don't. Okay. Um, I, I think... Um, you know, those are programmer tasks, and I, and I don't think there's a uh, Apple is afraid of you know users who know what they're doing doing that type of stuff. Uh, you know, especially coming from a Mac perspective, uh, and how you can actually call out web services in the terminal, for example. I don't think Apple is concerned about you know leaving the more advanced stuff in. I think what they what their main concern is uh, having these. Unsecure, insecure system for launching apps be still in place. This is the reason why, for example, in iOS 10, they added, or maybe it was iOS 9, I don't remember, they added a confirmation dialogue the first time you want to launch an app with a URL scheme. Yeah. You're like, do you want to open this in Todoist, for example? Um, because they really, they really didn't like the idea of users ta accidentally tapping a link on a web page or maybe in a message or anywhere in an app and be taken into a s another app that does something on their behalf because there's a URL scheme with some parameters and some actions. And Apple really didn't like the idea. And that's why they added the confirmation prompt. But still, that that is sort of putting a patch on the problem. It's not really a solution. Um, and I strongly feel... They, they they wish they could have provided a solution to avoid all of this URL scheme stuff with iOS 8, but they couldn't. They couldn't quite get there. Uh, and I feel like um, there, there's two parts to this. Like There's the Apple that wants to build a better solution, but there's also the, the Apple that is sort of fascinated by what people have been doing with workflow on iOS. Because really, it comes down, I think, to... Like you mentioned, Mike, all of these single-purpose apps, sort of, that you can build. Um, if you think about it, um, Workflow may allows you to make your iPhone or iPad more personal because it doesn't have to be about these complex workflows and chains of actions like the ones that I build or the ones that you built, Mike. This, you know, crazy series of 20 <laughs> actions and 30 actions. Really, you can make your own mini extensions with Workflow with, for things that iOS doesn't do by default. Like, I want to have a Workflow that lets me copy a link and message it to my girlfriend. And now with Workflow, you can make your own mini extension that does that for you. So there's this idea of making your device more personal, creating this... Really, you can go back to HyperCard and people just toying around and building their own stuff. And I think there's power to that idea. Uh, sort of these Lego blocks that you can remix and shuffle around and share with others and others can remix on their own. 
I think it's a beautiful idea. And I think people, uh, I think Apple sees the potential in that. Uh, but it also knows that if it, if it can continue, it cannot be this way. And that's why my concern, I think yours too, uh, stands. Um, is it going to be better? Is it going to be worse? It's going to be two, three years away. Are developers even going to, you know, embrace this new system? And what happens in the meantime? That's what I. That's what I want to discuss. What What happens now? Um, if Apple releases the iOS 11 beta and the beta breaks workflow, what are we gonna do? And that really, my primary concern now is the workflow app is living on, sort of, on the App Store. Uh, but will it survive? You know, updates or new features or new apps? And if it doesn't, how will we? sort of uh, rethink what we do. Yeah, I mean, it. That's that was really the, the heart of my question a couple of weeks ago, right? That what happens if it, if it goes away? And I think there's definitely going to be some sort of lull here in the middle, right? As workflow slowly fades, but the new thing isn't ready yet, if indeed that's what's happening. Um, I think something else that is going to end up being frustrating is if whatever this new thing is, or even if workflow just gets, you know, adopted by Apple and they don't really change anything, it's just, you know, part of Apple now. And it becomes, uh, you know, either part of iOS or really what I would think they would do is it'd be something like iBooks, right? Where it's not bundled on the device, but you download it like GarageBand or, you know, these other iOS apps. Is it going to get moved into Apple's rigid, you know, point release cycle where you get something every six, nine, or 12 months, is the beauty of workflow being outside of Apple for all of its challenges there is that it was up to the workflow team and to other third-party developers when workflow got updates, right? It, workflow became more usable if your notes app suddenly supported it, or you switched to a different web service that offered support in, in workflow. And all of a sudden it unlocked this new world of stuff you can do. You know, Mike and I both went through this Recent, more recently than you did, Federico, with Todoist and Zapier, right? Being able to hook all these things together. Um, and we can constantly be improving our workflows and our efficiencies now because it's it's always evolving. It's a tool set that is always changing and growing. And even if the best case scenario is, look, Apple just, you know, the, the workflow team, they just wear Apple badges now and they're still making workflow and it's, you know, stays the same and they're, you know, they're not redeveloping everything it even if it just gets put on apple's slow release cycle that's going to be frustrating right and and i i wonder if that's not the worst case scenario right that it still exists but it's it is really slow to adopt new things and it's really challenging to try to evolve and and to push your your set of tools because it's now caught up in apple's you know slow corporate you know really cycle mm. <laughs> I, 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 I don't <laughs> feel good man I, I, I'm really struggling to feel good about this I am like I but the problem is it's because everything is uncertain and history has shown that this might not go so well Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a uh, both uh, history for you know of apps and services being acquired by Apple and shutting down, but I I think that the high-profile acquisitions I can think of in recent memory, you know, Test Flight and Beats Music, that went pretty well. 
And test flight, I mean... But Siri. I mean, Siri, sure, it was a problem in the short term, but I mean, we cannot complain now, I think. I mean, <laughs> Siri is... I mean, we complain about Siri a lot. Yeah, but for all that we complain, uh, I mean, it's a it's an assistant baked right in, and it's on a bunch of platforms, on in a bunch of languages. It's not an app that you need to open to do a limited set of things. I mean, it's got problems, but I would say that the you know the the reach of Siri is bigger now than ever, and uh, you know even if it's not perfect, it's I mean it's not terrible. It's not this crazy AI that we would like to have this sort of this Jarvis that we would like to have, but it's bigger than the app it used to be. And if you look at TestFlight, um, you know, when, when it got acquired, so many developers were upset by the news because I remember it was... TestFlight's awesome. Like TestFlight is great. awesome now. Like it, this TestFlight, at least for, for beta testers, is better than the old TestFlight. Yeah, exactly. And, and I feel like workflow is not like building an AI like Siri, which is this massive, at a scale sort of web service. We're talking about an app based on a framework for developers and you know i want i feel pretty good about it i think i i i think it's gonna be a long wait but i think eventually we'll um we'll get a good result out of this because i i i I feel like apple believes in the idea of being productive on ios they haven't shown they have they haven't shown us a lot of love in the past couple of years and that is true but I think this is a chance to make it right. Starting this year with uh, with iOS 11, with possibly new iPads, and eventually with a way to create your own automations and to have workflow as a system feature and this new communication system between apps, I think it's gonna it's gonna be a slow path. It's gonna take a while. Uh, I but I really struggle to see Apple just getting workflow and getting the team and the team signing off to say, well, we're just gonna cash in and goodbye to workflow. I really knowing these people, I really struggle to imagine that scenario. But what if though, like in the 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 good scenario here, right? Like that we get this great new system and Apple's able to create a thing, it's really awesome, and it's like, you know, it's like the new hypercard. It's like these these Lego building blocks for everyone. But what if nobody cares? What if what do you mean? the ge- the general user doesn't care? Like that this just isn't something that they're interested I in. I don't think general users care now about workflow. Like, well, no, they don't, right? But like, let's just say that Apple creates this system that is intended to be from the basic user to the advanced user, right? To help them make fun things on their phones or whatever, and nobody Apple. cares. And then Apple's like, yeah. "Well, we didn't get as many people interested in this as we wanted." Like. Uh, I think we're going to put you on another thing now. That's what I worry about. Yeah, I, I, I think so. The idea that Apple could create a new system that's going to be mass market, I think, is is probably foolish because mass market users don't care about automation. I mean, they care about productivity in the sense that they're using apps that help them be productive. But the way that the three of us and our listeners define productivity is different than the way most people do. And any automation tool, like they, they try this with Automator, right? Like a, 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 with Tiger, when, you know, Sal's on stage talking about Automator, the idea was, hey, anybody can just open this thing and like drag, I mean, it's the prototype of workflow, right? You can drag these little building blocks together 
and you can make it run or you can save it as a little app or a little service. And you know what? I have a bunch of automator actions that I that I rely on in my work that you know help me cut corners and speed things up. But I could do all of that work without Automator, right? I can go in and resize all my images and strip them of GPS metadata in preview. And it just takes a little bit longer. Where I think the difference is and where I think it is potentially more harmful to iOS is that there are things that are only possible through something like workflow or Mm -hmm. that the time difference to do something between doing it the regular way in apps and then doing it with a workflow is so much greater than it is on the Mac with, with Automator that iOS has more to lose if this goes wrong. Right? iOS would be set back further than if something like Automator went away on the Mac. Um, yeah. And that, I think, is the... is That's another potential nightmare scenario, right? That that they get this wrong, and it stalls out, and it, it moves backwards even, and people like the two of you who want to work on the iPad, who prefer it, who make their living on it, are going to be hindered and maybe you stick with it or maybe you don't, or maybe the, the listener out there now who, you know, is thinking about buying a MacBook or an iPad pro and is on the fence. Maybe they, they pick the Mac and from the iOS first perspective of Apple, this is Apple's modern OS. It's their biggest OS. That's not a good thing. And it could put a cap on how, how high iOS could go as far, as far as what it can do power wise. And, I think the comparison to Automator on the Mac is one that's helpful historically. I know that's like my thing, right? But Apple pitched it as anyone can do this. And the truth is no one does it, right? Like nerds use Automator, but normal, like, you know, average users don't, right? Because they open it and it looks scary, right? The first thing it does is actually it asks if you want to create an application or like a workflow or a service. People don't know what those things are. So they just uh, back out of it, right? And, um, they they have a, Apple has a unique opportunity now with this to look at the Mac, look at Automator, look at the Apple Script Editor, all that all that stuff, all that legacy stuff on the Mac, and say what of this makes sense now on iOS as a modern touch based OS? What didn't work, you know, ten years ago when we tried this on the Mac? What could work now? And if they aren't doing that, if they're not really considering the pros and cons to a system like Automator or the failure points of a system like Automator and AppleScript, then that's concerning to me. They, they need to have an understanding of what the user base is going to be and what they can do realistically to make it better, right? If they just say, oh, anyone can use this, like that's not good enough. They, they need to really make it where anyone can use it and they need to to preach the benefit of it to average users, right? Like three of us, right? Like, and again, our listeners, like, of course, workflow is useful and powerful. And of course, of course, things like Automator and shell scripting, like those things are important to nerds because they, they make the computers work for us. But mm-hmm. you have to have that basic conversation with a user to onboard them. Yep. And I don't know if Apple can do that. I don't know if anyone can do it, let alone uh, Apple. I strongly, really strongly believe that, and I'm, I'll try to make the case for this uh, in the story. But I, I feel like there's a power to the idea of letting people create. And you can see sort of a, a Kindle of this in the in Swift Playgrounds. You can make the case that Apple doesn't need to make Swift Playgrounds. 
but it's important to to have it on iOS because it sort of creates a new generation of kids or maybe even people my age that can learn a new thing and create a thing for them eventually, maybe in the future. Um, and I feel like we're, we don't need to think of automation uh, in the sense of I'm making a script, I'm a programmer. Now, there's so much uh, discussion about this giving labels to people. I mean, Mike, you know this. Uh, and I really don't understand it because... Um, I think what we should focus on is the power to create, not saying, well, I'm officially a programmer, put a tag on my chest, I'm a programmer today. That's not the point. I feel like there's a power to the idea of letting people customize their own, their computer and to let people use technology to their advantage. That's the basic idea behind workflow, behind your schemes, scripting, whatever, Xcode. You want people to create a thing, to build a thing that makes the computer better whether it's an app, a web service, what a sticker pack, whatever. You're creating stuff for a screen. And how can workflow fit into this picture? And when I'm thinking about right, the possibilities of Apple owning workflow and building this visual, friendly, secure, and integrated tool that lets you come up with stuff that you, that you can create, whether it's a widget or an extension or a, a chain of actions, an iMessage app, whatever, and you can create your own things because Apple cannot possibly build all of the extensions and all of the widgets and all of the automations for everyone. And, and so they give the power back to you. And they, let, and they say, well, now you have this system, it's secure, you cannot really compromise the security of your devices, but you can create, you can build these things on your own. And it's easy, and it's safe, it's fast, and it's actually kind of fun. And I have this idea of giving, you know, Workflow 2.0, whatever it's called, to someone and saying, well, you want to write a manuscript, you want to write a book, but you don't have the features in pages that you want, well, now make a macro for you. And you can actually do it on your own. Or you're an architect and you want to have a system that turns your drawing into an SVG file and saves that into iCloud Drive, where now you can make a system that lets you be a better architect with your iPad because you can carry it around and have this automation. So we need to let go of this idea of I'm sitting down and I'm doing programmer tasks because I'm, I'm wearing my programmer hat and now I'm doing scripting. That's really not the point. And, and I have this idea of you can see that you can see that I think there's a parallel, I think, between video games like Minecraft or like the Breath of the Wild. This is going to sound crazy, but bear with me. There's a parallel. There's the same thread between those games, the open approach. I'm giving you a universe of tools and you can reshape it. And apps like Workflow, apps like Swift Playgrounds, I'm giving you a secure environment. Now go crazy and create your own stuff. And that's, I believe, the message that Apple didn't just buy work for, they bought a message. And my best case scenario is not, a, it's really not about the technical details even, it's about this. Does Apple believe in the idea behind workflow? Does Apple believe in the idea, not of automation in the sense of, oh, you're all schemes and chains of actions and X callbacks. That's not the point. Does Apple believe in the idea of we make the computer you make the computer your own. And that's the kind of Apple that I want to see going forward. It's going to be a long wait, but 
that's the the path that I hope that we'll take. I have never wanted you to be right more than right now because I agree <laughs> with everything you're saying. I think that you're making perfect sense, and and I I desperately hope that that Apple believe the same. I think that these initial, I think the fact the fact that they've done this is a good sign for the fact that they want to do more in it, right? Like actually buying workflow and then keeping the app open like that is a a strong sign i think to not just be like nah it's not important that thing's useless like all we do is we just want you you're just really smart engineers we don't care about that app like they kept the app and that's not a thing that they do very often right like that they would they would buy a company and then kind of allow that company's project to remain available to the world they even made changes in fact that they made it free right that they're like let people go and get this app right and try it my hope is that that is like because, and like the rest of that sentence is because we want people to do this stuff. Like that's I, I really, really, really hope. And you know, my my concern and my doubt isn't just based on the fact that it's Apple. Like it would be if it was any company that bought this thing, because for the reasons that we were talking about two weeks ago, it's super important to me, and I don't want it to change. Right, like because I just yeah. want it to get better, like it has been for the last few years. That's all I want because I love it. But if this is the only thing that the workflow team could do or it's the only thing that they wanted to do, then fine, like let them go and do it. It's their business. I just really hope that the thing that I rely on and that is really important to me to help me do things that I want to do on the devices that I want to use continues to improve. That's that's kind of all I want, really. If you want to find our show notes this week, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 135. Don't forget to sign up for uh, the mailing list for the tickets for our WWDC meetup. That is the top link in our show notes this week. If you want to find Federico online, go to maxstories.net. Federico's got a really big article that he's been working on, which kind of sums up and even expands even further on what we were talking about today. So go check that out. And he is at Fetici on Twitter, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. Steven is at ismh and he's over at 512pixels.net and I am imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. Thanks again to our friends over at Encapsula, Blue Apron and Eero for supporting this week's show. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.